You are listening to Environmental Voices Rising Women at the Mic, and I'm your host, Michael Crawford Zimring. It's true the science is spoken and the impacts of global climate change are coming faster than originally predicted. But this is not the time to give up or become disengaged. Are you looking for a different way to think and talk about climate change so that you aren't feeling helpless or hopeless listening to mainstream media's take with doom and gloom scenarios? At Environmental Voices Rising, we shift the narrative and bring you stories from women environmental leaders whose work addresses the challenges of global warming with innovative and workable solutions. Quite the opposite of doomsayers. Environmental Voices Rising is committed to amplifying the voices of all who are working on the front lines to create sustainable and equitable solutions. That includes the voices of women, indigenous women, black women, and women of color. Part of the reason why we can often feel overwhelmed about climate change is the sense of magnitude, like this is so big. At Environmental Voices Rising, we acknowledge that you may feel small, but you are not powerless. We invite you to listen, feel inspired, and find a place in your own community to find solutions. Environmental Voices Rising is also in partnership with Tree Sisters. When you subscribe at our website, evoicesrising.com, we make a contribution on your behalf to Tree Sisters and their solutions to climate change, planting trees and reforesting the earth. Stay with us for another episode. Did you know that wasted food is one of the largest drivers of climate change? Today at Environmental Voices Rising, I am thrilled to have a conversation with Claire Schlemme, one of the co-founders of Renewal Mill, an upcycled food company based in Oakland, California, that believes that upcycling can reduce food waste, close the loop in the food supply chain, and keep valuable nutrition from going to waste all while creating delicious baking ingredients that you can use to make cookies, brownies, cakes, breads, and muffins. Today, we'll be talking about food waste and how to put it back into the food system by upcycling. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much. That was such a lovely introduction. (laughs) Thanks. Well, I'd love to get started. I know you started with a juice truck business in Boston. So can you tell us how you got that juice truck business started and then how that led you to thinking about upcycling food waste? Yeah, absolutely. So I had previously started to think about how two of my greatest interests and loves as a, you know, growing up food and the environment were really quite intermingled after I was diagnosed with cancer in my early 20s. So it was definitely a moment to pause both for for treatment and also you know obviously it was kind of an unexpected event in course of your life as a young adult but it really gave me the opportunity to think about some of these bigger questions about you know how we treat our planet and our bodies and the food that we're growing on the planet and feeding ourselves and it was in that experience that I decided I, I really wanted to make this a career, this like sustainability in food and have that be what I was working on. So I ended up going back to graduate school after treatment and got my master's in environmental management. 
And when I graduated, moved to Boston and connected with a colleague at an environmental consulting firm where I was working. And we both noted that there was such an interesting opportunity to better engage folks like with farmers markets by being able to take some of the produce that was being sold at the farmers markets and turn it into an on-the-go snack that you could have right then and there. So our original goal was to basically be juicing this fresh produce that was coming in for people to be able to, to walk away with a snack. And the idea was so, um, you know, people were so excited for the idea of juice and using produce that was grown in New England that the idea really, it started as more of a side project. It, it really grew. There was so much excitement around it. And we ended up actually just launching it as a full business as a juice truck. And, and now it actually operates as a handful of brick and mortars as well in, in the Boston area. So it was such a fun business. And we loved working with farmers and you know, making beautiful juices and experimenting with different combinations was was a lot of fun. But one of the struggles that I realized early on was, you know, we were ending every day with just this huge mountain of fruit and vegetable pulp, which you could argue is potentially one of the the more nutritious parts of the the fruit and vegetable because it has all that fiber, which is a macronutrient that a lot of us actually could use more of for better health outcomes. So it was something that I was aware of from home juicing. And I think, you know, anyone who's done that, you know, juiced at home it knows what I'm talking about. But it was quite another thing to really see it at scale and just see how much of it, you know, we were throwing out. But it was more than we could reasonably repurpose. We did try to do a few fun projects like juice pulp muffins and juice pulp chips. But it really was a piece of the business that was inefficient and was like a challenging, a challenge that I wanted to solve. So I ended up, after I left the juice business, I had a really fortuitous conversation with the owner of a tofu factory. And we totally bonded over byproducts, which sounds <laughs> kind of nerdy, but he was having a very similar issue, except that his byproduct was called Okara, and it was the pulp from soy milk making. So soy milk is the precursor to tofu. And when you make soy milk, it's not terribly dissimilar from juicing. You're, you know, you're grinding the bean, you're squeezing all the liquid out, and then you have this pulp that's left behind. And so what made it particularly fascinating to me, well, first was that there's a culinary history, there's a lot of history of using okara, particularly when soy milk was was most often made at home rather than in factories in, in East Asia, which is why, of course, it has its own word, a Japanese word. Okara. So yes, yeah, so there was there was this whole history of of using it. I tried it out myself and realized, my goodness, this is absolutely ingredient an ingredient. It's so arbitrary that we label this waste just because we don't have a, a place for it yet in our food system in our Western kind of diet. Yeah. So I basically it, the the other thing that made it really exciting for me was the scale. So you know we had a ton of juice pulp with the juice business, but we were still retail scale. But here was someone who was in food manufacturing who was producing for national distribution of products. And so he was producing anywhere between 40 and 50 tons of byproduct every week. A remarkable amount to start with as your like source of raw material. And the other thing that really was really striking to me was actually calculating the efficiency gains 
of employing an upcycled solution into food manufacturing. So he uses about 40% of the soybean mass that arrives at the door of the factory, of the tofu factory, ends up in the tofu. And the remaining 60% is what's in the okara. So by upcycling that okara and having it be part of our food system, we're now able to use all of the soybeans instead of just 40%. And that tremendous gain was something that was really inspiring to me. So that's basically the key of upcycling, right? You're ta- the what would have been waste, what was waste and leftover in the manufacturing of your whatever product you're working on, the juice or the tofu, you're taking that instead of just like dumping that in compost or in the in the landfill, you're actually reusing it. So you're putting it, it's kind of going back into the circular economy kind of model of not wasting because wasting is so absurd. I mean, at this at this point, at this point in the you know, when we know that there is food available, it is really kind of ridiculous to be wasting food. It totally is. And you know, we we kind of talk about this current trend and movement of upcycling as if it's as if it's a new concept and you know, as if it's something that's now novel and trending. But truly, this is like a concept that's as old as time, right? The idea of not wasting. And I think that the innovation and why it's kind of taken hold now is because the innovation now is how do we apply this concept to production models and the structure of our food production landscape that has already been created. And most of it has been created with this idea of you're having a linear production of, I want to get as quick and cheap as possible from my inputs to this one output that I'm making. But yeah, but obviously the concept, you know, we're, we're now calling things with this name, calling it upcycling, because it's something that we can use to kind of teach people about not, you know, the, the concept overall, but, but obviously it's been around forever. So then you got your company started, Renewal Mill, and you, did you figure out that you could use Okara by drying it out and create a flower or how did that inspiration come? Yeah, absolutely. So pretty early on, we realized that it was going to be important for us to have a shelf-stable ingredient from these byproducts, partly because in the upcycled space, you're really building a bridge between production that you don't have control over, right? Because we're, we're getting byproducts from someone else's production and then demand. And in most cases for the demand, you're creating a market that may not have necessarily been there before. So there's a lot of misalignment at the beginning between your, you know, your supply and demand and setting up that production. So having the ability to have something that's shelf stable really helps you as you try to better align the supply and demand side of the businesses. There's a couple of other benefits that we get from it. One is food safety. So we, the dehydration and milling to turn it into a shelf stable flour happens at the location where the byproduct is being produced. So that means that it's we don't have to deal with it leaving the factory floor. Like within hours, it can go into the dehydration process. And similarly, because we're not having it leave the facility as a wet byproduct, we're not having to pay extra money to essentially ship water around. And that was important to us too. We wanted to, hearkening back to my interest in you know keeping things as affordable nutrition as possible with the juice business, we we wanted to make sure that the cost savings benefits that we get from using byproducts or things that essentially 
don't have value ascribed to them yet, that we can maintain those to have a source of kind of more mass nutrition as opposed to something that's like a very expensive specialty product. Yeah. So flour is one of those, like a staple product of that everybody recognizes. Everybody knows what it is. They know how to, you know, if even if they don't bake, they know what flour is and cookie mixes. So that's very interesting that your drying process, your whole production process is right there next to where you're getting the tofu, the okara, and you're going into production from there. So I know that okara is also nutritious. So let's just go back a little bit to the nutrition part and waste in case people are thinking, well, waste, you know, that's something you throw away, but like it's a very nutritional part of it that we haven't actually seen. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's pretty remarkable when you actually watch the production because there's a large soy milk machine and literally out one side comes the soy milk and we have decided that's that's food. And out the other side comes the okara and we've decided, well, let's just say that's not food because, I, you know, we don't know what to do with it. But truly, it's just another ingredient. It's It's just food. So what's really cool about okara and something that drew me in initially is you know what I mentioned before, the fact that this has been used in other cultures for a very long time. So this isn't necessarily a brand new product that we're bringing to, I mean, it is not a brand new product that we're bringing to market. And there's some great advantages that that brings us, right? So one is that we know how historically this product has been used. And so we kind of have an idea of how people have been using it to create food, which is a great kind of launching place for us to think about how we could use it in products here. And then also it's been the subject, it it has a bit of a health halo already around it for folks that are familiar with it. And it's been studied in several peer-reviewed papers that have been published looking at the health benefits of okara. So we know from those studies already that okara is associated with a lot of these positive health outcomes, many of which are related to the fact that okara is really high in fiber. So things like better cardiovascular health, weight maintenance, and then some other kind of interesting findings as well. There was one study that looked at feeding professional athletes okara cookies after they had done weight training. And they found that the okara helped with like speeding up muscle recovery after after weight training. So we were really grateful to have so much behind this product. So even though it's new to many audiences in in the West and, you know, in Europe and North America, there's a lot of history behind this product and a lot that's already known about it and how to use it and how how people have used it. Thank you. So also, I know like in the production of your flower, you knew that you had to have it taste good. So (laughs) I would love to be in your R&D kitchen. But anyway, tell us about how you decided to come up with the taste. And I know you have the help from Alec Bedrich. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, obviously food. I mean, it's like the most important thing is that it tastes good. And so we wanted to stay in the baking aisle and have people kind of work closely and have a close interaction with these upcycled flowers and and an experience with them. But we wanted to make it more user-friendly than someone starting from scratch with an okara flower or another product that we now also produce is an upcycled oat milk flour, which is coming from the pulp from oat milk production. That's a more challenging starting point. Our idea with using the ingredients and baking mixes was that it would be a fun and easy way for people to have that interaction with these upcycled ingredients. 
So I had the great fortune of meeting Alice Medrich early on in my journey with Renewal Mill. It so happened that she had recently, when I met her, she had just recently published a cookbook on alternative flowers. And the goal of that book wasn't necessarily with a focus on gluten-free for gluten-free sake, but more this focus on, hey, there are so many cool ingredients and flowers out there that can each be their own hero ingredient. And they each bring different flavors and textures and you know can change the profiles of the things that we bake. So it was really this appreciation for the diversity in ingredients that she brought to that work. And of course, obviously, tremendous expertise in how to use these products. She's won James Beard Awards for her cookbooks. And so I brought to her attention this new kind of class of alternative flowers, these upcycled flowers and upcycled ingredients. And so we we started working together, and it's been an incredible journey with her. She's truly a magician in the kitchen. <laughs> and so she, she developed the formulation for our baking mixes, which are all, you know, everything we do at the company is plant-based. The baking mixes are also gluten-free. We wanted to take that, that, you know, that happens to be an attribute of the flowers since they're derived from soybeans and oats. So we wanted to let that attribute go all the way through to the final product. So the mixes are gluten-free as well. And they're very easy to make. They're just out of oil and water. So it's very, very simple to go from grabbing a mix in your pantry to having some a delicious baked good to, to eat. Yeah. So I actually did that. Oh, <laughs> I, I got your brownie and cookie mix and uh, with a friend, we just made, we made our, our own demonstration model and we, they're very delicious. So now I'm passing them out to my friends oh, <laughs> to get them to like. Oh, Which is like, yeah, like give a plug now to your your website, renewalmill.com, because you have flour, chocolate chip cookie mix, snickerdoodle cookie mix, brownie mix, regular baking powder. And do you have a, is it the recipe for the muffins for toddlers? I really love that. I think I'd give a shout out to the muffins for toddlers. <laughs> yes, yes. That was um, a recipe that kind of a recipe developer made in conjunction with our products early on. It's it's quite delicious. I, I know. Trying to feed toddlers good food is always. <laughs> <laughs> totally. totally. Yeah. So you're someone I could tell who just is always going. So what's next? So when you once after you started Okara, you went to like oat milk and what other kind of products are you looking at? Yeah, so we're looking at a, a handful of other types of products. We are looking at the cakes that are left over from oil production. So when you kind of squeeze the sunflower seeds to get sunflower seed oil, there's this cake that's left over. Similar to, you see a similar thing with olives and olive oil production and certain nuts with nut oil productions, things like walnut oils, a little bit more specialty, but same type of byproduct that's produced. So we do have, we actually do have some of the sunflower seed cake already and some R&D testing. And then we're doing some work with the oil, the nut and the olive oil cakes this fall. And then we've also been working a bit on looking at a bit on spent grain, which I think there's a number of companies that other upcycle companies that have started looking at spent grain. I think it's a really fun byproduct to work on because there's so many points of production for it. So, and, you know, craft breweries have been just exploding over, you know, throughout the country and all of them have this spent grain that's kind of an interesting starting material to work with. 
So we've been particularly looking at like gluten-free breweries. So to kind of keep it, keep the expansion within the, you know, under the umbrella of gluten-free. So that's been kind of an interesting project as well. So how are you getting to marketing? What is your marketing strategy or how are you getting into the aisles, the baking aisles in stores? Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting actually. And this has been kind of an unexpected journey for us. Most of our brand. So we we sell our upcycled ingredients to other food companies who use them in their own formulations. And then we use them, of course, in our in our own renewal milk branded products. Most of our products were being sold through office snacking programs. So it was more of a food service model that we were using for brand awareness and getting our products in front of other people and using that as a way to educate folks on what upcycled is and kind of sharing that story with them. That obviously changed a year and a half ago when offices shut down. <laughs> and, and with that, they're on their snacking programs and micro kitchens. So that was about actually about 90, more than 90% of our revenue was coming from food service at that point. Um, So we had a very fast and furious pivot in the spring of 2020 to find new sales channels. And that's when we started going into retail and building up more of our e-commerce presence as well. On the retail side, you know, there were some things that worked to our advantage, um, namely, everybody decided that they wanted while they were home that they wanted to bake. (laughs) So we saw this resurgence in interest in the baking aisle, which had not been seen in many, many years. And it meant that a lot of grocery stores had pretty, they were having a hard time keeping the shelves stocked, particularly with flowers and, and baking products. I remember that. Yeah. So that was actually, we, you know, we kind of hit the pavement and went to stores and said, Hey, we've got stuff. We'll put it on your shelves. And that that did help us get our foot in the door probably more quickly than we than we could have in you know in a non COVID time. And then we also have decided to kind of concentrate our retail footprint in the Bay Area, which is where we're located, and in California more broadly, and then also a bit on the East Coast. So we launched with a distributor in New York City. So um, there's a number of kind of more natural organic independent grocery stores that carry us in New York City as well. So, you know, our goal is to really focus on introducing our products and having people find us and try us and love us in these two markets and then expand from there. That's great. So I know you're also like looking at the future and expanding and you've created this or you're part of the association of the upcycled food association because you want to grow this whole concept of like we can use upcycled food we don't have to waste this food so tell us about this collaboration and and growing this kind of economy yeah absolutely so we realized early on that it was going to be really helpful to come together to amplify the message about what we were doing And so in 2019, the fall of 2019, we came together with a handful of other companies that are doing similar, similar things to what we're doing and founded this new trade organization, the Upcycled Food Association, whose intent is really to uplift and grow this new category of food. And importantly, not just grow it, but really grow it in a way that builds trust with consumers. Because I think one thing that 
everyone was a bit concerned about at the beginning is a potential for greenwashing of the term upcycled. And we wanted to make sure that that term was always connected with something real and concrete, you know, and could have the same sort of gravitas to it that organic has come to have, because we know that there are very strict standards behind that label. And so one of the first things that the UFA did was define what it means to be upcycled food. And then from that, they were then then put into place a certification program to actually certify ingredients and products as upcycled. So we were really fortunate and excited to be part of the first group of 10 companies that had our products and ingredients certified upcycled in June, just this past June. And we actually just started using our new packaging that has that certification seal on pack. So that'll be on on shelf in the next few weeks or so. So it's a very exciting time. Well, congratulations on getting the certification. And I would also like to highlight what you were saying about certification and building trust with consumers. I think this is so important in the environmental space when we are trying to get our messages out and engage more participants, having clear definitions and guidelines so that people can feel confident that what they are doing is having a real benefit to address climate change. For those of you who don't know, according to Project Drawdown, the global leader in delineating solutions to climate change, preventing food waste is an effective solution to reducing greenhouse gases, and reducing landfills. So I would love to invite our listeners to check out your website, renewalmill.com, and become a climate-friendly baking consumer or baker. And if you are still wondering what you can do, may I suggest that you bake a plate of brownies or chocolate chip cookies using upcycled flour and share them with your friends. Claire, is there anything else, anything on the future recipes that you have in line that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, well, something that's sort of immediately new that I'm happy to share is we are launching today. It's October, so of course, we've got pumpkin on the menu. So we have a new cookie mix that's launched today, which is our pumpkin spice cookie mix. So it has a really robust, beautiful pumpkin spice blend from one of our neighbors in Oakland, a, a spice company called Oaktown Spice. And then we actually put some some real organic pumpkin in the mix as well. So it's pumpkin spice, but also has real pumpkin. <laughs> I know that spice company. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be looking for that one. Excellent. Excellent. So no, I would just like congratulations on all the work you're doing and being able to pivot during COVID and getting us to think about, you know, baking and baking really delicious foods. So I always like to ask my guests, there are other women who inspire you working on environmental projects. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Well, I would say I would just start in like the food space. There's been I'm always inspired by other female founders that I find in the in the food space. And a lot of those also have environmental components with them. Folks that are outside of that, I've been such a huge fan of following Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. She's has always just has a lot of information and wonderful things that she's sharing on Instagram about sustainability. And I think she's a great model and a source of information and, you know, really loved the book that she edited. So that's, that's someone who's currently inspiring me. 
Well, Claire, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really enjoyable and educational. And so I just wish you all the luck going forward. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been lovely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmental Voices Rising Women at the Mic. We are building a community of environmental voices rising and speaking up in whatever way works for you. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eVoicesRising and head over to our website, eVoicesRising.com and subscribe. We make a donation to Tree Sisters for each new subscription. We are grateful for your support and invite you to stay with us for more episodes and conversations about creative ways to address climate change. Until next time.